welcome to church. It's wonderful to be together this evening. We don't just come together as a group of friends to have a good time. I hope that is your experience tonight, that you do have a good time and that you do find friends here, but that's not all that we're here for. We gather in the presence of the Lord Almighty to worship Him, to see Him, to know Him, to grow in our love for Him, to give Him the glory that He deserves. We gather to worship the Lord who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So please stand and let's begin by singing His praises.
No other name compares to the one of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's continue in praise in this next song. No other name.
God, indeed, no one compares to your son, Jesus. Lord, we come before you as broken souls, broken people, um, in great need of you and the love and grace you offer on the cross. Lord, as we open your word tonight and hear you speak, help us to uh, see clearly what you've done for us. Help us to see what it means to follow you, to love you, to love your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, again, good evening. Welcome to church. Great to be together. Particularly welcome if you're new or newish amongst us. This might be your first time or perhaps only your second or third time. Love having you amongst us. Uh, if you're looking for someone to chat to afterwards tonight, my name's Lachlan. Feel free to bowl up and say hi if you're stuck trying to find someone to say hi to. Love getting to know people. So I'd love to know your story if we haven't met before. But it's great to be together. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at a series entitled We Are been with us over the last four weeks, you've seen that we're magnifiers, missionaries, members, maturing. Tonight we're looking at the reality that we are ministers. I think the thing that struck me across this series uh, has been the fact that the, the series is called We Are, Not I Am. That's been something that's hit home to me across these five weeks, going, yes, I have an individual identity, but when it comes to my Christian life, it's actually core that I'm part of a, a we that I'm part of a community. So here's something that Peter says. We'll look a little bit later on at 1 Peter chapter 4. But hear these words from earlier on in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter says, As you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Earlier on in the series, I was reading something written by a guy called Spurgeon. And he was talking about seeing one little brick just lying on the ground, kicking around there, trying to have a good life. He's like, what's one brick doing on the ground? It's doing nothing. But if it gets together with some other bricks, it can all of a sudden be created and built into something fantastic. That's what God is doing amongst us. We're not there to be one little stone on the ground, but to be built together into a house where He will be praised. That's what we're looking at later on tonight as we get to 1 Peter 4. We are ministers whom God has freed up to serve one another as we serve Him. So I'm looking forward to hearing all about that. Before we get there, uh, something to let you know about coming up for us as a church. Every now and then, about four times a year, we run a course called Explaining Christianity. Uh, We heard a few weeks ago, and we are missionaries, that all of us, all of humanity, will live for eternity. Death is not the end. Eternity is coming and the scriptures make clear that if you believe in the Son, if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. If you reject Jesus, you will not see life. God's wrath remains on you. There's the reality that we live in. Two eternal destinies. People will spend their eternity in one or the other. And what matters is their response to Jesus. So everyone explaining Christianity to give people a chance to hear about Jesus to hear the claims that he makes about his life, death and resurrection and to ask any questions that they've got. So you might have friends that you know who are currently rejecting Jesus or who currently don't know enough about Jesus to know what they're rejecting. Explaining Christianity would be a great thing to invite them along to. Across four Tuesday nights starting October 24th over dessert and dinner, 
probably in the other way. You know, it is fun to eat dessert first, but we'll probably do dinner first and then dessert. Uh, we'll have a, a relaxed space where people can hear about Jesus and ask any questions that they've got. So keep that in mind. I know it'll be exam period for some of you, but still good to invite people along because in the midst of eternity, uh, Jesus isn't going to care if you've got an A plus or a B plus, but he is going to care whether your friends are there with him for eternity. So explaining Christianity is on. Keep an eye out for that. Be praying, be inviting. Even come along yourself. If you've got questions, you're not sure where you stand with Jesus. It'd be great to see you there. Uh, This past week has been our one-off giving week, so I'm going to invite Rowan up to give us an update on how all that has gone. Thanks, Lachlan. Uh, Good evening. Welcome to church. I want to add my welcome to Lachlan. It's great to see you here. My name's Rowan. Um, I want to let let you know as a church how we've been going in this one-off giving week. Uh, We do one-off giving uh, once a year as a a once-a-year opportunity to think through how we might use the funds that God has given us, the opportunities we have to see the good news of Jesus go further. We pick out kind of three opportunities that we think will be really helpful. Uh, And we've we've talked about three and what they are and how they've worked. And so what I wanted to do today was to report back how much money people have pledged or given towards these three areas. The reason we do it is because we want to not just go, oh, how great are we? We want to go, how great is God who's allowed us to be generous? And so I want to share with you the three areas that we were looking at. You'll see them on the screen. Um, Firstly, we're looking at raising funds toward a building so that the church might have a hub from which to teach and train others with the news of Jesus. Uh, It wouldn't just be kind of like, oh, buildings make, make a church. No, no, no. A church is the people. A building is the rain shelter, but it's a great tool that we use to see people trained and equipped up uh, as, as a gospel-sending hub for this city for the next 100, 200 years. We want to see a building come out of that. The second thing we talked through was seeing a pastor employed to look after membership for us as a whole church. And we've offered the job to Andrew Coombridge and people were giving toward um, him coming on as staff that would have the funds to see a membership pastor to help us really connect and grow together as a church. Um, And the third area was looking at stopping human trafficking uh, through partnership with Tear Fund and with the Zoe Foundation, providing funds that will see women be saved and rescued from what is a horrible uh, trade of human trafficking and sex slavery. And we were doing that through Tear Fund. So I'd love to report to you the amount so that we can celebrate God's generosity through us. Um, Firstly, for the human trafficking, we were trying to raise $5,000. We didn't quite get there. We got to 4740 I think it's pretty exciting, right? That's great to see that money raised towards that area. The second area for the membership pastor, uh, we were trying to raise $40,000. Uh, $40, sorry. Um, we didn't get there either, but we did raise $10,485. That's real money, the pledged or given. I think that's exciting. Uh, that's a quarter of the funds that we were kind of hoping to see, but it's still great and a great start toward that. And in the final area of a building, there were two amounts that we were trying to raise. The first amount was people just giving to that building fund. People saying, yeah, we want, I want to give cash or, or pledge cash right now so that, that we can see a building start. Uh, we have the funds to fit something out, to pay architects and other professionals, the things we need to do to, to kind of get a building. Um, we were trying to raise for that 100000 We didn't get there, but we did get over half. So 54836 which I think is pretty exciting. In the last week, you, part of Auckland EV, as a larger church, gave, in just one week, 20% of our yearly giving, on top of our regular giving. That's pretty exciting. $70,000 was given in the last week towards these causes from people here in our morning congregation. That's exciting to see. Um, 
Now, on top of that first amount given toward a building, we also offered people the chance to be able to partner with money that they have and maybe loan that towards church or purchase some part of a land or a building the church could then lease off or think through ways that we could do that with. We're really, we're not giving, we're not getting all the funds from people, but people are lending funds to church so that we might use them to see a church building. And I'd love to report to you that the amount that has been offered in loans to EV or investments with EV uh, to build a building is just over $3 million. From within Auckland EV, that money has come and people said, yes, we're free uh, to, to use that, obviously working out actually how that will work out. But people have gone, you can use up to $3 million of the funds that we have to start a building. Now, I think that's pretty exciting. Pretty exciting to see the way God has used the generosity of you as a church. Many of you students here that have given towards these causes. It's something to celebrate that God has enabled us to do that. All the money is His anyway. But you've stewarded that money towards these areas. And I think it'd be great right now, uh, in, a, in a moment, to pray and thank God for His generosity that He's shown through all of those who gave. Now, if you didn't get a chance to give, uh, you can still do it. Um, on the back of the outline, you would have seen a little line on the very bottom. It's just got the web address you can jump onto and go, I want to be in on this. I want to see funds used for the gospel in these areas. You can still do it this week. Um, or you can pledge when that money can come in. But why don't we stop for a moment? And give thanks to God for the generosity that He's expressed through each of us here. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for the generosity You've shown us in Your Son. That You've loved us even when we didn't love You. That Jesus died in our place. We thank You for the resources and the gifts that You've you've entrusted to us to use for Your kingdom. And we thank You for the generosity that You've had from within so many of us here. Lord, we ask that You would use the funds that have been given for your glory. To see a building set up here that we can work from and that, 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 that seed funding and the real money that's been given. We just want to give you thanks for that. We want to give you thanks for, for the money that we have freed up to see a, a pastor join us um, next year and the money that's been freed up to stop human trafficking through tear. We ask, Lord, that these initiatives would bring great glory and honor and see more and more people standing in Jesus to the end. Lord, it's got nothing to do with us, but everything to do with how great you are. And so we thank you for the privilege of serving you in your son's name. Amen. Well, we're going to keep praying to our great God, and Ming's going to lead us now as a church in that time of prayer. Thanks, Ming. Everyone, one of the great privileges we have as Christians is to pray and speak to our Heavenly Father. So let's uh, come together and bow our heads in prayer to our Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father and Sovereign Lord, You alone are our rock, our salvation, our stronghold. True rest and peace can only be found in You. You created all things, and by You alone all things hold together. May we sing Your praises and announce to the world all the amazing works that You have done and are doing in our lives and in this world. You went before us and defeated our greatest enemy, death itself. Yes, Lord, by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, you showed us grace so that we may live in right relation with you and speak to you like we are right now. Through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, you have taken us from death into life. And we come to you now with nothing except being clothed in the righteousness of your Son, Jesus. 
We want to lift up the sex trafficking happening in Thailand and the Tear Fund organization. We thank you for the efforts that are being made to prevent the sex trafficking in this country and in other places in the world. We pray that as we look at the brokenness of the world around us, the war-torn countries like Syria, Afghanistan, and Iraq, and many more, we ask that you not only help us to trust in your sovereignty over these matters, but that Christians all over the world can testify to the deeper issue, the problem of sin. Help us to proclaim the good news of your son, Jesus, and may you bring relief to the terrible occurrences that are happening in the world today. And as New Zealand begins establishing a new government, we pray for the leadership of this country also. As Bill English steps up as the chosen prime minister of our country, the one you have allowed to be appointed, may you guide his leadership and ultimately the direction of our country, New Zealand, into a direction that glorifies you. Please pour good wisdom into the leadership of our country, and may New Zealand be a country that sees many lives saved into your kingdom, into eternity, a country that sees your kingdom go out. Pray that you give us strength and boldness to speak about your son, Jesus Christ, saved and sent by you. And for us here at Auckland EV, Uni Church, we thank you so much for your good provision, the provision financially to see a new pastor come on board, one that sees us as a church family grow in partnership, grow in membership with one another, members of a family that you have established. We humbly pray that you continue to provide for us as we look to establish a helpful tool, a building that is able to see the good news of your son go out to our city. As we come together today to hear from you, hear you speak to us from your word, we pray that you help us to listen to you, take hold of what you have to say to us, and have hearts that are eager to honor you with our lives. May our minds be renewed and our affections be shaped so that we can grow in the likeness of your son, Jesus. We thank you so much and come to you humbly and ask all these things in your son's most precious name. Amen. Hi, my name is Angela. Tonight's reading will be from First Peter chapter 4. Verse 7 to 11. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your, raise your hand up and someone will come to bring you one. And the page should be bookmarked. Now the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and disciplined for prayer. Above all, maintain, a, a, maintain an intense love for each other, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him belong to the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Angela. Well, if you want to um, leave your Bibles open, we're doing, we're doing a little bit of flicking tonight uh, as we think through together this idea of what it is to be a minister. Why don't we pray? 
Lord, as we open up your word tonight and look through a number of different books at the ideas that you've given us about who we are as ministers and servants, that we would see, firstly, how great you are, how Jesus has served us, and then out of that, we would come away amazed at the joy that it is to serve you. We pray tonight through your word and by your spirit, you shape us in the likeness of your son. Amen. Well, we started this series uh, four weeks ago, asking this question, is your life on autopilot? Is your life on autopilot? Are you letting the culture around you decide what normal is, decide the next steps for your life and who you'll be and what you'll do? Who are you letting set the trajectory of your life? Is it culture? Is it the world? Is it yourself? Is it the God who made you? We looked uh, just over four weeks ago at at the picture that God had given us uh, from Mark at Jesus' words to us when he was asked this question, what is the most important command? What's the most important command? Have a look at Mark chapter 12, verse 30. It's on the screen. Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. When Jesus is asked the question, how should we live? What's the most important command? He says this, to love God and love others. That's what our lives are to be about. That's what's to shape the way that we live. And so throughout the last four weeks, we've looked at kind of four different ways of doing that that we are to be magnifiers, that we are to glorify God in all that we do and love and delight in Him. We are to be missionaries, that's who we are, to be missionaries, proclaiming the news of Jesus Christ as missionaries saved and sent by Him. We are to be members, part of the partners, loving partners in the community here at Union Church, loving and looking after one another, making sure that we're standing firm to the end. We are to be members of His church here. And last week we saw that we're to be maturing, we're to be growing as disciples in our love and knowledge of God to be more like Jesus. Well, this week, we're going to see what it means to be ministers and why that's an important word to understand. Uh, If maturity is about us growing in our love and knowledge of God to be more like Jesus, kind of one degree at a time, ministry, that purpose, that idea is about setting us free, unleashing us to be who God is making us, to be servants of Jesus. Who are you? Are you a magnifier? Are you a missionary? Are you a member? Are you maturing? Are you a minister? I want to put it to us tonight that we are all these things. And as we focus on what it is to be a minister, to see that we are ministers. We're ministers. A minister of a church isn't just the guy up the front who wears that kind of dog collary thing, right? whatever that is, or a robe, or some kind of fancy outfit. A minister, really, the word just means to be a servant. We are all servants of God and of one another. There's nothing kind of super special about myself, or Lachlan, or Ming, or Angela, or Vanessa, or those who are kind of part of the, the staff team, except that we're awesome. Well, not really. <laughs> Jesus is awesome. That's true. Us, we're broken sinners who've been saved by Jesus. 
And, and the great privilege we get is to serve you. It's to serve you as part of this congregation, to, to lay down our lives for you. What we're going to see tonight is that being a servant is vitally important. Now, when I hear that word, being a minister or a servant, I've got to admit, I'm not naturally excited. Like, did anyone go, when you're kind of growing up, did you ever go, look, when I grow up, I want to be a servant? <laughs> anyone think that? Honest show of hands. I think people who want to be nurses, right? Nursing, I can't, I just, I don't get it. Like, it's great. I'm so thankful for those that are nurses, but they just get the dodgy end of all the jobs. Right? The doctors kind of do their stuff and they go, yo, you clean it up and they've got to wash people down and you're like, oh, there's some ickiness there. Maybe a podiatrist. Maybe that's bad. Right? Imagine dealing with people's feet and sconge all day long. Right? They're serving us. But I don't think many of us grow up going, yeah, I want to be a servant. The Bible gives us so many titles, titles that I, I love. So uh, let me read a couple of them for you. And um, oh, I've lost it. A couple of them, if you want to turn up in your Bible, no, I'll just say these, then you can come back to them later. Write them down. Galatians 5.13 tells us that we are called to serve one another. So we'll see that there. But the the Bible gives us other titles that we can um, speak of that God has given us. So in Romans 8.17, it says that we are co-heirs with Christ. Now, that's a title I'm excited about. I'm a co-heir. I will inherit whatever God has, the, the, the universe. That's exciting. I'm like, yeah, sign me up for that title. Um, or uh, that I'm a son of God. Now, sorry, ladies, in, in this case, you actually want to be a son, not a daughter, because the son was the one that inherited the inheritance. And so when the Bible calls us sons, it, it's saying that we, we're, we will inherit. We are these co-heirs with Christ. Uh, we, we see that we're called children of God in 1 John 3. I'm a child of God for those who trust in Jesus. Uh, for all the guys, the women get back at us because we're called the bride of Christ. You've got to suck that up, you know, ladies. Yeah, that's it. Ladies, you might be sons, but we're the bride of Christ. I'm happy to wear that, right? I'm happy to wear that. So Revelation 21 talks about God's people coming down from heaven as the bride prepared for Him. Uh, Titus talks about us being God's possession, a treasured possession of God. I'm like, that's a wonderful title. How great is that? And then we get to 1 Peter 4 and Galatians, and they tell us that we are servants, or literally, slaves. At that point, I'm like, oh, really? So Galatians 3, um, Galatians 5, 13. If you want to flick there in your Bibles, it's not on the screen. Sorry about this. But just to see it, Galatians 5, 13 says this. I love that. Page turning. Galatians 5.13 says, it's not a very long verse, so I'm going to wait till you get there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, right there, G. For you were called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We're called to serve. Flick back to 1 Peter 4, because you all kept your finger in it, right? It was bookmarked. 1 Peter 4.10. And you see there that we're called to serve as well. We're called servants. 
what I want us to see tonight is actually this title of a servant, slave, actually, is a phenomenal joy and a privilege. And I kind of want to help us to undo from the Bible this view that serving is kind of like substandard. That's like the, the kind of ugly uncle at the birthday party. Or that awkward uncle, maybe not ugly, right? You're like, who is that guy? Oh, service. Yeah, we've got to serve others. We love all the other names, but being a servant, that sucks. I want to show us tonight what an amazing joy it is to serve. So why do we serve? For many of us, the idea of serving in church or in other areas kind of brings all sorts of things to our minds. We're like, oh, I don't really like it. You might have been burnt out in a church before. You might have been burnt out in some area where you felt like you've been pouring out and pouring out and pouring out and really not getting anything back. And this idea of service kind of makes you shudder. You're like, I don't want to go there. Like, this is going to kill me. So why do we serve? Let me start out with five wrong reasons that we serve. Five wrong reasons. Number one, sometimes we serve so that we might be noticed. We serve so that others will say, good on you, Rowan, well done, great sermon. I still think we should encourage others. But sometimes we actually do it because we, we want the accolades. We want others to go, you know what, you are such a great toilet cleaner. I think you're the world's best toilet cleaner. You can come to my house anytime and clean toilets. Or whatever it is. And particularly you see this within um, gifts that are used up front that everyone sees. So the musicians, right? Oh, I play guitar. Everyone, you're like... People are like, look at the people at the front. And you can, you can start to think that, yeah, I do this. So people will say, Rowan, you're, you're a great guitarist. Or, 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 that, or that you've got a great voice. We do it to impress people, to make people think more of us. That's not a good reason to serve. Here's a helpful test to work it out. In the area that you're serving in or thinking about serving in, would you do that area of service if you knew that God was the only one who knew what went on? Would you still do it if you knew that God was the only one who saw it? If the answer is like, I probably wouldn't, then you've got your answer. You're not serving others, you're serving your identity to be built up from from others rather than serving God. Sometimes we serve to be noticed and that's a wrong reason to serve. Second wrong reason to serve. Sometimes we serve because we think Jesus needs me. Jesus needs me. It sounds crazy, but we kind of go, you know what? If, if I wasn't here, then Jesus would be stuffed. Like, how could he save the world without me? Now, we don't often think it that kind of blandly, we don't care that sort of, that sort of strongly. Um, but there's a sense in which we think that if I don't do my bit, the whole team will fall over. Jesus will be like, what am I going to do now? And we, kind of, we find ourselves in this situation where we think Jesus needs me. I'm like his A-team. I need to be on the team. It's funny, I, I've noticed this in a sense in myself over the last few months. Uh, I just noticed how much harder it's been to be in the Word of God each day because there's been so much Christian service to do. As we've been looking for a building, as we've been thinking through different ways to see that happen, as we're talking about our morning church move to a, to a different location, there's been heaps going on. And each morning I find myself waking up and thinking, you know what the most important thing you can do today is, Rowan? You can check all the listings for property so that you can see if there's a new location for church. I can serve God by doing this, and then I can look at the other opportunities that come up and answering emails and getting back to an engineer and talking about this person, about that option. And I've just found that I've been so focused on serving Jesus or trying to serve Him that I've prioritized my service over listening to the one I serve. It's like 
He needs my work more than I need his word. And that's a problem, isn't it? When I think the most important thing I can do is to do stuff for God rather than listen to him. Now, we still need to serve and we'll see that in a while, but ah, oh, there's an order in this. Sometimes we serve because we think Jesus needs us. and That's a wrong motive to serve. Number three, sometimes we serve because we try to earn our acceptance before God. I think one of the biggest traps for people checking out Christianity is that Christians model to others that Christianity is about doing good deeds. People look at Christians, I think they're they're the do-gooders. They're the people that help old ladies across the street and kind of do these good things to the people around us. And while we do do good things, we make that kind of the main thing that we do and so the people around us think that what being being a christian is is trying to earn your acceptance by doing good stuff you know we don't love doing these things but hey we've got to do them because we need to earn our acceptance before god sometimes we even begin to believe that we think that we're more acceptable to god if we serve him more now let me show you the reverse way how many of you don't need to say this out loud rhetorical question in your head. How many of you have gone, oh, because I have sinned in some way this week, God is somehow more unhappy with me and I'm not worthy to serve Him? There are times that those thoughts come into our heads because somehow we think that serving Him makes us acceptable before Him. No, we can't earn our acceptance before God by serving Him. Number four, fourth way that we do this wrongly. Sometimes we serve in order to get something from God. We're not trying to earn kind of our acceptance, but we're trying to get something back from Him. It's like we've got something that God wants. God wants my service. And God, I'll give it to you if you just give me this thing that I want. Ever found yourself bargaining with God? God, if if I go to church and listen to the whole sermon this week and not fall asleep and check Facebook, then will you please give me a boyfriend or girlfriend? And maybe it hasn't been that clear. Will you give me just maybe a, a, a B plus rather than the B minus? Uh, God, if, if I actually just read the Bible every day, will, will you do this thing for me? And we kind of bargain as if God's like, all right, you got me. Okay, I really, really need you to do that thing. And there's no other way that, you know, that I could have that happen other than through you. And so, all right, I'll give you a boyfriend or girlfriend because of it. It sounds so crazy when we put it that way, but we do it. We think we can arm wrestle God by our service to Him. He doesn't need our service. He says to the Israelites, do you not know? Even if I could raise up a whole new nation out of these rocks if I wanted to. Do you not know who I am? I'm God. I'm in control of everything. I don't need you, but I choose to use you. We don't serve to get something from God. The fifth wrong way that we think about serving, and I'm sure there's more, but the one I'll stop on is this. Sometimes I think we serve God in order to pay Him back. We feel like, wow, I'm so indebted to you. You've done so much for me. You sent your son. And we kind of try and want want to show gratitude, show a response to the forgiveness he's offered. And so we kind of want to pay him back for what he's done. I I want to serve you with my life. I'm going to serve you here because you've given me so much and you deserve it. And so I, I kind of want to, you know, I can't just go on doing nothing. I've got to give it back to you. But here's the thing. Forgiveness is a gift. I don't know if you've understood that. The Christian faith says that we are forgiven only through what God has done, not because we deserve it. God has given it to us. All we need to do is accept it. Imagine someone came up to you this Christmas and gave you a gift. You know, say they they kind of came out and and they gave you this letters book that you wanted to read. They give you this gift and you're like, wow, thanks so much. How much do I owe you? 
And, and you pull out your wallet, and they're like, no, 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 it's a gift. You're like, no, 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 I'll, I'll, look, out of gratitude, I want to pay you for it. It's kind of like, no, it's a gift. Like, this Christmas, try it. If your parents give you something, just be like, oh, how much do I owe you, mum and dad? They'll be like, what do you mean? Well, I want, I want to pay you. Like, I want, to be, I, want to be, I want to thank you for doing that, so I want to pay you for the gift you've given me. They'll be like, that's just arrogant. That's like shoving it back in my face. I've given this to you as a gift. You didn't deserve it. You only rang me twice. <laughs> but I gave it to you anyway. You know? God has given us so much. He's given us forgiveness. He's shown us His love. We don't go back to Him and go, oh, how much do I owe you? Let me try and earn some of that back. So the problem with that is that it, it, it makes our service about us, not Him. I'm just trying to earn back onto a more even playing field with what God's given me. I want to give him some back so we're okay with it. It also thinks that God hasn't really forgiven us, that he wants something back from us in in response. It's not real forgiveness. And thirdly, it puts ourselves on the same level of God. It says that, oh, I can contribute back to God what he has given to me when he he is so different from us. There are so many wrong ways to serve and they're destructive. But the right way to serve is seen when we look to the service of Jesus. To understand how to serve, we've got to understand the one who served us in Jesus. In the face of all these wrong motives, we need to hear his words. And this is what Jesus says. We've got to recognize this. Jesus is the one who served us. Have a look with me. Mark 10, 45. It's on the screen. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus' name for himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to earth not to be served, but to serve and give up his own life. That's the Christian message. Jesus has died in your place. He's given his life for you. He's bought you back. Jesus doesn't want you to measure your life by your service of him. He doesn't want your service to get in the way of your love for him. He didn't come to be served by you. He came to serve you and me. He came to lay down his life for us. What an amazing God he is. Listen to the way that Paul describes it in Acts 17. It's on the screen as well. The God who made the world and everything in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. Jesus doesn't need our service. He has everything. There is nothing he needs. He has it all. But he allows us to serve him because he served us. His service of us is the picture of what we need to look at. That's why Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. We were thinking about it in our staff meeting over the last couple of weeks. How can we show um, service to church? One of the great joys we have is to serve you. And like one, of, one of the things we could have done is to kind of wash people's feet on the way in, which would have just been a great picture of service. Jesus did it. He did it to say, I have come to serve you. Not, not that, that, that I've come so that you might serve me. I have come to serve you. And so he washed the disciples' feet. Now, we kind of think, oh, that, that's all right. Most of us in the room, we probably had a shower or a bath in the last 48 hours, I hope. Please. Part of loving your brothers and sisters. 
especially if you're a hand raiser. We love hand raisers. It's great. You can raise your hand as you sing, but make sure you've got deodorant on. It's just part of that love for one another. You can, what is it? You can do the... Anyway. <laughs> this is a society where they walked cruddy streets with poo all over them. Their feet would have been festy. They would have had kind of festiness on them and all sorts of dung and dirt and yuck. And, you know, imagine being a podiatrist in that world. Like, oh, what is that? I think that's living. (laughs) Jesus washed their feet. He bent over and did that. He's trying to show you can't serve him, but he served you. He's given up his life for you as a ransom. What we see as we keep looking through the scriptures is that he's still serving us. He hasn't just stopped. Yes, at the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. He paid the price for our sin. But the writer of Hebrews tells us that he's continually remaining at God's right hand, serving us as the one who is the mediator between us and God, bringing our request before him every time we sin, saying, Father, I've taken the penalty in their place. Listen to this, Hebrews 7, 24. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is interceding for us right now at God's right hand in heaven. He's saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they've done. He is serving us right now. What an amazing God he is. He serves you each day far more than we could ever serve him in a lifetime. In fact, he doesn't only serve us as we serve him, He lets us enjoy serving Him. We don't often see service like this. But our service is not kind of like a down payment or a drawback or a drag. Service of of God is a gift. It's actually a great joy and blessing that He has given us that we might be able to serve Him. Let me me try and explain it to you in kind of a human illustration. A few years ago, um, I decided that it would be great for our kids to build a fort in our backyard. I thought it'd be great just to kind of put together some sort of fort they could play on. And I chatted to them. They were all excited about it. They're like, yeah, this is great. And so we went out and we kind of did the driving around the industrial areas looking for like a, a crate. You know, there's like a, a, a pallet because they're free, right, when they're on the side of the road. And, um, and so we chucked the pallet in the car, squeezed it in the back seat, and they, they chose it, drove back to our place, and we kind of started putting it together. And then we worked out that we, we had to kind of go and get some, some screws. And so we went to Bunnings. I don't know if you've seen in Bunnings, they've got these little kid trolleys. Anyone seen those? Yeah, I've got no idea why they do that. It is so frustrating. I'm there with four kids and there's only three trolleys. So straight away, they're all like, I want a trolley. No, I want it. And they're like fighting over trolleys and we're like, guys, come on. We just got to go and get some, like, like some screws. They're like, no, but we need three trolleys for that. And so then they're like running down the aisles and they don't stop at the crossing and some guy comes past with like a, I don't know, a heap of stuff on it. And they're like, whoa! And then they give you the parent look. What you look after your kids. I'm like, far out. <laughs> it was crazy. I'm like, what is going on here? And then we get back and they're all excited about it and they start building and there's all sorts of stuff. We're putting it together. I'm trying to measure it. But while I'm putting it together, they're like hitting a hammer in the side and there's a nail coming out. And I'm like, what are you doing here? And I think Ethan's like, oh, I'm building a shelf. I'm like, but that's where we get in. You can't put a shelf where you walk in. It's got to be next to it. And he's like, oh. And then he moves it over the other side. I'm like, great, there's a good spot to put a shelf. And so he's just nailing in a shelf. And there's another nail randomly going in the side. I'm like, what's that? Like, it's a hook. I'm like, what for? Like, I don't know, but it's cool. <laughs> I'm like, 
they did this. Uh, and there's part of me that kind of went, you know what? The whole thing would have been far more efficient and easier if I'd have just locked them in behind the glass door. I just bolted the door shut and said, you guys stand there and watch, like on the edge. And I'll just put it together in the next hour. But the problem was with that, I wanted to share the work of building this fort with them. Not because it was somehow so much better for me to do it with them, uh, that it would come to a better product, but they're doing it alongside me. Serving God is kind of like that. We're like children who get to help our dad. Not because he needs the help, but because he enjoys our company. He gives us the privilege of being part of what he is up to, about kind of fulfilling his plans and purposes in the world. He gives us the help with his word and he gives us his Holy Spirit to use the gifts that we have to cover over a multitude of our mistakes. He loves working with us because he loves us. He just loves us. If you're not sure of that, look to the cross. Jesus died in our place. God loves us. When we have that view of what our service is, that we get to work alongside our dad, bringing about his purpose, we see what a great joy it is. I don't need to serve as if my acceptance depended on it. He's my dad. I'm his child now. I serve him. I will serve alongside him because this is just what we do in this family. I don't need to serve so I can please my father. He's already loved me incomparably. How much more could, could he bless me than what he already has? That he's given me eternal life, forgiveness from sin, relationship with God, the father forever. I'm like, oh, I just like you know, a flushier car for a week. Whatever, you've got eternity. God has blessed us phenomenally. I don't need to serve so I can earn that blessing. He's adopted me into his family, made me an heir to the entire universe. Here is the treasure of Christianity. The treasure of Christianity is not that we, that we get to be good people and live a good life, although it's true. The treasure of Christianity is not that we get heaven and eternal life with God, or that is true as well. The treasure of Christianity is not that we get blessings or joy or, or hope or peace. The treasure, the true treasure of Christianity is that we get God. We, we get to serve Him. We get to know Him. We get to be with Him as He works. We get to work alongside the God who made us. To know Him, to call Him our Dad, to be part of His work. What a joy that is. When we serve Jesus, we're not giving Him something. He's giving us something. He's allowing us to come in and partner with Him in His work of fulfilling the plans of the Father. And what a joy that is. What a joy that is. Grasping that reality that we are freed to serve alongside our Savior sets us free to enjoy His love, to enjoy God, to enjoy serving as a gift. Man, I get to serve Him. I get to bring about His plans and His purposes. Galatians is true. When we get what freedom means, we're free to serve. We're freed from the slavery of serving myself and having to live my way and having to make all the choices of what I will do and how that will work. And we're free to serve God with our lives, to be caught up in His plans, which is so much bigger and better than mine will ever be. And oddly enough, as we recognize the gift that we have 
that we're freed up to serve. We're able to serve him more, longer and harder and braver and truer than we ever could otherwise because, man, our Saviour has died for us. I've been caught up in what he is doing and serving him in that. In fact, if we actually get what's going on, our service of Jesus increases our joy and not depletes it. It helps us to go, yes, I'm with him. Being caught up in the plans of our Heavenly Father, working with our dad. Sign me up. I want to be alongside him. I want to see his plans and purposes come to fruition. I want to let him mold and train me to be just like him, just like his son. As we think about service, we need to first look to Jesus and recognize he has served us. He's served us and he's now allowing us to get caught up in God's plan for us. But then we also see that he has gifted us to serve. We've been gifted to serve. When we have this privilege of serving alongside our Savior and serving our God, we actually get to serve him with the gifts God has given us. And we see here, particularly in 1 Peter 4, um, that Angela read, the gifts God has given. 1 Peter 4, 7 starts with these words. Now the end of all things is near. Now, imagine I said this to you right now. The end of all things is near. It's imminent. The end of all things. What would you do with the next week if you knew the end of all things was near? Turn to the person next to you. 20 second chat. If you knew the end of all things is near, what's the first thing that comes into your head? What do you do? Go. Um, I'll talk in a second. Okay. Alrighty, now I'd, I'd love to hear what people came up with. So maybe just, just call it out. It could be what you said or what your neighbor said or what you heard someone say behind you. So don't think this is necessarily you. But I'd love to hear what do people get. We'll start over this side. If the world's going to end, what's the next thing that you do for this next week? Go. Eat the best food. Eat. Okay, what else? Yep, just call it out. Okay, spending time, family and friends. Yep, keep them coming. Tell other people. What was it over here? Get ready for? Right. That's great. All right. Others? Freak out. You guys can... Catch, catch up and maybe... <laughs> yep. There's more? Pray. Pray, right? Okay. Let's listen to the next thing Peter says. The end of all things is near. So what do we do? Be serious and disciplined for prayer. You're like, oh. <laughs> Seriously, when I think through the end of all things is near, I naturally go, well, I, I just go, I go hard out. I go and tell as many people as I can. I go and have those conversations I was always too afraid to have. I just use my money for the kingdom. I'd be like, man, I'm, I'm home. Peter says, shut up, Rowan, and recognize who it is that actually does anything in this world. It's God. He is in control. You don't change the world, although God does change the world through us. He does it through our prayers. 
He asks us to pray. It's crazy. The God who is in control of all things limits his action in the world sometimes by saying, I want you to pray about it before I'll do it. Why would he do that? Because he wants to invite his children in to his plans and purposes and work through them. Peter says, the end of all things is near. This is real. Be serious and disciplined, not for A plus in our exams, not for all these other great things in life, for prayer, for asking our God to bring about his plans and purposes. It helps us to recognize who's in control, doesn't it? But he doesn't stop there. Prayer is one way that we are ministers, we are servants of one another. It is by praying for these things that God uh, is saying. But he then continues on. Have a look at verse 10. Based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied graces of God. What do we see? Each person has a gift. Based on the gift each one has received. God has made you who you are for a very purpose of bringing about his plans and purposes. Not because he must or because he needs us, but because he wants to include us in that. He has gifted us in our talents and abilities and resources and intellect and energy to be who you are. Has anyone ever done one of those kind of gift studies where you can go and find out your spiritual gift? Show of hands, real life confession. Yeah. Great. Awesome, right? And sometimes they're helpful for working out how we can serve. And they're helpful things, but I think it misses the purpose. Throughout the New Testament, it keeps talking about the gifts as one another. You are the gift to the person sitting next to you. You're serving them with the skills and abilities and gifts and talents God has given you. We keep going, but what is my spiritual gift? You're like, love your neighbor, serve God. Look at the opportunities and resources you have and go, how can I serve God with all that I have so that he might be glorified and I might be able to love his people? Sometimes we can spend so long trying to work out the gift that we had. But here, Peter tells us everyone has a gift. God has made you who you are. Use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. Can we get that verse back up again, Jay, just so we kind of got it clear? Um, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. Now, that word grace just means gift, right? The, God has given us these things. So therefore, we have a great privilege of serving Him. One of the things that's in our culture is we don't often like to kind of use the gifts that we have because we're worried that people will be like, oh, look at you, using your gifts, showing up up the front. The only reason that we'd be showing off is if the gifts come from us. If they come from God. And surely, humbly, we want to keep pointing to Him. But if God has given us these gifts, how arrogant is it to not use them? How arrogant is it to go, oh, look, I need to be humble and so I'm not going to use the gifts God's given me because it'll bring attention to me. They don't bring attention to us. We didn't come up with any of them. They were all given to us as a gift from God. Who you are had nothing to do with you. Uh, can, uh, this is, I don't know if I should do this. I'll do it anyway. Who, um, <laughs> who in this country gets um, student allowance from the government? Show of hands if, you, if you're able to get student allowance. Oh, there's a few of us to study. Who gets a, a student loan? Who's allowed to get a loan from this country? All right. Who have you chose to be born in New Zealand or become a resident of New Zealand in order to get that loan? Oh, none of you. It's a gift. Your parents chose to have you here or have you born here or send you here. There are so many things that don't come from us that have been given to us. Well, here God is saying, everything you have is given from Him. We are 
to be good managers of the varied graces of God. What we are to do as Christians is to manage what God has given us. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's His. And He allows us to use it alongside our great God. Do you see what a privilege we have? We should not let false humility get in the way of serving. Now, of course, we don't get up and be like, look at me, I'm the world's best toilet cleaner. Everyone should toilet clean like I do. Like, who does that? Or, or, or get up and go, you know, I play the oboe, I must play the oboe in church. <laughs> I must. And then you've got like five oboe players. I don't know what use that is. Like, it's an odd instrument anyway. If you play the oboe, I'm sorry. <laughs> All I can suggest is you switch to another woodwind. But anyway. um, Now, why? Because deep down, I think guitarists are best. Why is that? No, I'm just showing my my sinfulness. See, it's because we think, look, look I really enjoy the guitar and it sounds great to me, but we've been called together to be a body. And so if there are oboe players and that works well in the way, we want to chat about that. We don't want 100 oboes at the front. What use is that? Even an orchestra only has one, two at most, right? But it is a privilege to serve God and to use the gifts He's given us. We don't go, I need to do it. So we're also just as free to say, I'm not going to use this gift right here and right now because of loving others. And we'll see that in one second. But to help you understand what a privilege it is, I want you to imagine this. Imagine tonight as you're walking out, you get a phone call. Uh, Your phone rings, you answer answer your phone. And and at the end of the phone, it says, "Uh, hello. And you're like, hi, is that Rowan? I'm like, yes, for you. They don't say my name, they say your name. Got that? And so is this you? You're like, yes. And you're like, oh, it's Steve Hansen here. Now, who knows who Steve Hansen is? Okay, Steve Hansen is the coach of the... Right, good work. Steve Hansen's calling you up. Look, we've got a bit of a problem for the match coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, we love to invite you onto the squad to play for the All Blacks in the next game. How would you respond? There's a sense in which I'd be like, man, that's awesome. Sorry, I'm Australian though. <laughs> That doesn't seem to stop many people. Anyway, um, how many of the All Blacks are actually carriers? Anyway, um, I think there is... Anyway, we'll talk later. (laughs) Imagine what it would be like to be invited by the God of the universe to play on his team. To say, come and serve with my purposes. To be on the team that will last forever. To see people cross from death to life. Not chasing a ball around a pitch. But seeing people come to know Jesus and serve him. Do you want to be on the team? (laughs) Yes! Count me in. How great is this to know my God? That is the privilege that we have been given. So Peter says, with the gifts and skills and abilities you've been given, make sure you show up on game day. Make sure you show up each and every day throughout the week to use whatever brittle and feeble and fallible gifts you might feel you have to play for the God who's called you into his team. Use those gifts you've been given. Now, I think it is hard to work out what your gifts are. How do we do that practically? Well, there's one thing that X Factor and The Voice have taught us. You know those shows on TV? They have taught us one thing very clearly. Some people have no idea about their gifts. <laughs> it's true. They go on and you're like, dude, don't sing. That's horrible, right? And it's just a reality. We're not very good at knowing where we're gifted and where we're not. How do we work that out? If you can't sing in tune, should you be like, no, we should let them have a go on the music team? I'm like, no, that's not loving. It's noisy. 
Uh, should you sing if you can't sing in tune from the congregation loudly? Yes, that's great. It's helpful and encouraging, but we don't want to lead from the front in ways that confuses people. So how do we work out how we're gifted? Well, I think one of the things we actually need to do is to ask one another, hey, where do you think I, I could use the gifts God's given me? What strengths do you see that I have? This week in Connect Groups, I think we're actually asking one another that question. So I want you to start thinking about the people in your groups. How can you encourage them to use the gifts God has given them for His purpose and His glory? Another way to work out what gifts you have is to actually give some things a go. A friend of mine, she was a music student. She'd done a music degree. She'd served in music throughout her whole life uh, in another church that she'd been in. She moved uh, to the church that I was at uh, before this one. And she's kind of like, I want to serve, but I'm kind of sick of serving in music. I'm kind of tired of it, even though I've got all these skills. But what other areas can I serve in? And she's, she's like, oh, um, someone suggested she give kids ministry a go. She's like, kids, ugh. All right. Sorry, Lara. Um, <laughs> she's like, oh. And then, and then she's like, oh, I'll give it a go. And so she went along for a week. And she's like, she loved it. She's like, this is fantastic. She ended up serving in kids' ministry for a year, doing the Sunday afternoon kids' club and, and getting to know the kids that were there. She then started running some music stuff in kids as well. And it's just like, she's like, this is so great. I love doing my music, but I also love doing music here and using the skills God's given me and growing in new areas. Now, she'd never known that if she didn't give it a go. One of the things that we have here at EV is that, look, you can give any ministry a go without kind of, you know, you're locking yourself in for a year. You can come along, you can check it out for a week, you can trial. We don't say, yeah, jump up next week and preach, but we do say, come along to generate and have a go at preaching. And we can, we can work through that and train you in those areas and see how you go. If there's areas you'd like to have a go at, have a go. Uh, as long as it's not for those wrong reasons to serve, so that we might be glorified, so that we're paying God back. So it's for His glory and for His purposes. So have a go of those things. One of the things I think we need to own as a community is actually encouraging others. When we see people use their gifts well, thank God for them in their presence. Paul does it at the start of nearly every letter that he writes in the New Testament. I thank God for you, that your faith and hope is being shared amongst the nations. Philippians, Ephesians, he does it in all those places. Yet we kind of don't encourage others because we're like, oh, you know, it's just not, it's just not right. I want to make someone proud. You're like, it's not their gift anyway. I thank God for the way that you've done this. And so do encourage one another. Build one another up. We are a community to see one another serving Jesus more and more, playing on the team. Imagine, imagine the All Blacks. Someone does a great run and they score a try and everyone's like, mm-hmm, yep. No, they run up and like, awesome job, you did so well. No one else goes, oh, look, don't, don't give him false humility. No, you celebrate it. How much more so when God has given us everything? Do we celebrate those gifts? Well, the key thing we then need to understand that given that God has given us these gifts and given us to one another is this, and I'll end here, that we've been gifted to love. We've been gifted to love. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other since love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, let me help you here. When it says maintain an intense love, it's not saying like some creepy thing. You don't know, be like, follow someone around all the time. You're like, whoa, we are always there on my side, you know? It's not like some weirdness. It's saying you have a deep love, a real love. You're serving alongside one another. But love one another. Love God, love others. Greatest command, Jesus says. Paul says the same thing. Right in the middle of his biggest section on the role of gifts in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 12, which, by the way, we're going to look at in three weeks' time. 1 Corinthians 12 through to 16. So come along for that. 
for your fun time. There's nothing controversial there. (laughs) In the middle of that section on gifts and what the gifts are, Paul has a whole chapter which people generally only use at weddings. Why is that? It says, love is patient, love is kind. Love is not rude, it does not boast. And people go to weddings and use that, but it's used in the context of how we use who we are to one another. It's not just about weddings. It's not really even about weddings. It's about how we love each other with the gifts God has given us. And sure, married couples, if you're married or you think about getting married, it's important to love one another. It's important. But it's important for the church as well. Every gift God has given will pass away, except for three. Faith, hope and love, he says. They're the only ones that have an eternal warranty that will continue forever. And we need to focus on love and loving one another because that is the thing that will translate into eternity when we get to continue loving one another. You could be the most generous person on the planet, the most gifted person. You could lay down your life, have your body burned at the stake, but without love, we are nothing. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Do you see that? God's service of us comes out of His love for us. Jesus served us because He loved us. Friends, have a a deep love toward one another as we use the gifts God has given us. Church is not a consumer club where we come along to earn eternal benefits, frequent flyer points, and we get bonuses at the end. Church is a group of people God has gathered together, each of us different, gathered in His image to point to His Son with all that God has given us. That's what He is doing. We need to be that church. We are ministers. We are all ministers. We all serve. In 1980, a young Zimbabwean preacher, he's from Zimbabwe, in case you're wondering what I said, um, he wrote these words the night before his tribe asked him to renounce Jesus. He wrote this, My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, small planning, smooth knees, worldly talking, cheap giving, dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, praise or popularity. I don't have to be first. I don't need to be top or recognized or regarded or rewarded. I know life is by faith. I walk by patience. I lean on Jesus. I labor in prayer. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought. I will not be compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of the enemy. I will not ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up and preached up for the cause of Christ. For I am a disciple of Jesus. He was killed the next day for refusing to deny Jesus. 
how will you be known? At the end of your life, as people look back at how you've chosen to live, how will you be known? Who will you be known as? It's my hope that God will look back on me and us and say, EV, they were magnifiers. They did all they could to glorify God. EV, they were a church of people that were missionaries, saved and sent by Jesus, proclaiming the news of Jesus to the world around. EV, they were a church of members, committed to one another in partnership that the gospel creates, caring for one another, one another deeply. EV, they were a church of maturing people. They were maturing one another and growing in their love and knowledge of God to be more like Jesus each day. EV, they were a church of ministers, of people that served alongside me because of the gifts I'd given them, because of how I allowed them to do that. Who will you be known as? And it's my prayer that as we look at who we are in Christ, that we would see what a joy it is to serve alongside our Savior, knowing He's done it all for us, that our hope is secure, and we get to play on His team, for we are ministers of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, tonight we want to thank you for the privilege we have seen of being included in your plans to serve you and use the gifts you've given us to love you and your people. We ask that tonight we would see so clearly where you are taking your world. And people are coming to treat Jesus as their king, to trust him as their savior, to allow him to serve us as he has done. We pray that you would help us to repent of all the false motives we have for serving. You'd show us where we're doing it for our own popularity. You'd show us where we're doing it to try and buy attention from you or buy position from you or to pay you back in some way. We confess how pitiful that is when we recognize how much you've given us. We're sorry for the times we don't treat you as we ought. And we are so amazed at the way you treat us even though we have rejected you. So we pray tonight as we reflect over these last five weeks of hearing from your word, of who we are, that you would shape us into the likeness of your son. You would send us out into your world as missionaries. You would help us to glorify you with all that we have. You'd help us to love and care for one another as we serve with the gifts you've given us. Tonight we pray you'd capture us by your son again and you'd send us into your world for your glory and for your purpose, we pray. Amen. We're going to celebrate together that reality of who we are in Jesus by doing, uh, sharing together what we call the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is just a, a reminder of grape juice and bread uh, that really reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us and His blood that was poured out for us. So if you trust in Jesus or if tonight you're like, I want in, I want to trust Jesus, then why don't you take some bread and some grape juice as it gets passed around. Just hold on to it. Don't drink it yet. Uh, we're going to sing a song together reminding us of what Jesus has done and the privilege we have to call God our Father to reflect on what he's done. Hold on to it. Then after we've sung this song, I'll come back and we'll eat and drink together uh, and then we'll keep singing. Why don't you stand and remind one another as you sing loudly of the joy that it is to call God our Father.